Hey, welcome to the Hive With Us podcast. Today, I'm your host, Daniel Martinez. Today, I have a special guest, Kevin Osmosh. I know he's probably going to correct me later, and I did not ask him to verify his name if I was going to say it correctly. I asked all the other questions, but I forgot to ask him. No we're, problem. We're going we're gonna to jump into that. We're going to jump into that in a second. Today, Kevin, how are you doing today? How did I, sign, did I say your last name correctly or no? You didn't, but that's okay. Everybody messes it up. It's Amosh. Amosh. Okay, so Kevin Amosh. We're going to start over again. Kevin Amosh. I'm not really going to start over, though, but <laughs> Kevin Amosh. <laughs> Happy to have you today. What part of the country are we calling? Are we, are we talking today? Yeah, I'm in a suburb just uh, west of Denver. Denver. I like Denver. I went over to Denver. When did I go to Denver? It was like last year. It was like right at fall. And it was oh, like, beautiful. It was it was nice. And I'm, I'm planning to go to Denver in the summer this year. My wife wants to drive through because we're doing a little road trip. But I loved it. Denver is very beautiful. Very, I love very it. It's people think of Denver as being like this old mountain cowboy town, you know, and it's it's not anymore. It's actually a pretty big city, about three million, a little over three million in the metro, and it's about an hour from the mountains. So you could definitely see them, but it's not right in the hills like some people believe. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Salt Lake City, like. So it's like right outside the city is the mountains. I like driving through the mountains and like, I hate the snow. So like, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm a, I'll, I'll go there when I want to. <laughs> yeah. That's why you want to come out in the summer. That's perfect. So I do want to, I do want to go skiing though. I've never been skiing or snowboarding or anything like that. I do want to try that. Just oh like, yeah. It's worth it. You got to try it. But I'm sure if you, you do try that, Dan, you're going to end up moving out here. So, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I live in California. So the, the, the mountains are like an hour away too. So okay. Well, and like, you got the ocean, so that's that's a beautiful place too. Yeah, I, I got I got the little trifecta going on. I can hit the beach, the ocean, the mountains, all within like two hours. Oh, that's awesome. Same day. Same day. And then people do it in the same day. People have done it. So it's pretty cool. But so, side note, do you go skiing at all? Oh, or I love it. Day? Yeah. I uh I just bought a house up in Summit County, which is the main county along I-70. A lot of ski resorts in that county. Um, I got my best year ever. I got 25 days in this year. So, yeah, we love going up there. 25 days of skiing? Yeah. Yeah, I snowboard, but yeah, we got our kids into it. They're into the ski club, so we're up there every weekend. That is amazing. It's part of our life. Yeah, it's it's great. That is amazing. I hope to get there one day. I'm, I used to be a truck driver, so I always pay attention to the scenery. Driving up that mountain little pass area is amazing. It is such oh. an amazing view. Every time I, I've driven through there like twice, I think, and it has been amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, then, yeah, I love it up there. It's just, there's something very therapeutic about the mountains. The ocean has the same effect, but it really can get your mind into a healthy spot where you could focus. Right. And that's where entrepreneurs really get creativity and problem solving and all of that. So I try to spend as much time up there as I can. You have a good excuse to, too. <laughs> I do. All right. So I always like joking about where you're from, where you live, just because it's, it's one of those things where like, I, I talk to people from like different countries too. And I'm like, I don't really let's talk about all this stuff. So it's pretty cool. So I do like Denver though. Denver's a cool spot though. Uh, how long have you been an entrepreneur and uh, what exactly do you do? Yeah, I'm not sure how much detail you're looking for here, but I, I bought my first property while I was still in the army. I got, I went to the army right out of high school and I was just trying to figure out what to do with some, a little tiny bit of savings that I had. And, wow. and all the books I was reading was saying, look, you got to get into real estate. This is how you're going to get rich. So I bought a property, moved into it, moved out of it two years later and um, kept it as a rental. So there I was 23 years old and I had my first rental property. And what I learned through that process is, holy crap, this really does work. Like you really can get rich in real estate. So I really honed in on that, um, started a real estate investment company, started buying one or two houses every single month while I was going to school. 
I was also working. And then I fell in love with the financing side of real estate. So I started raising private capital and loaning that out to other real estate investors uh, to help them with their projects. And I was a real estate investor, right? So I knew exactly what it is that they were looking for and what they needed. And, and this was back in 2006 before the crash, but uh, 2008, I started the company that I'm running today, Pine Financial Group. Um, so 15 years in the business in this specific company, about two decades in real estate and real estate investments. And gosh, I got it right. This is exactly where I was supposed to be. Pine Financial. That is an amazing story. I like talking to real estate investors that have been in the game a long time. Long I've only been in real estate five years and it's always interesting perspective because people that have like 15 years experience, they have a lot, a lot of stories. <laughs> Lots of stories. Yep. The good and bad. I feel like I've seen it all, you know, and then, and then I, and then something happens. It's like, oh, I never thought about it. And then I learned something new and it's just a constant, it's a constant progression and, and progress is great, right? So we just get better and better. Progress is great. This show is sponsored by Hivemind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings. And of course, to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at hivemindcrm.io. One of the crazy things about real estate as a, as a business in general is that there's so many like different things that can happen and they're all individually specific. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. nope. there's things that will never happen twice, right? Yeah, and it's crazy. It's crazy how it is, but uh, we'll, we'll cover those a little bit later. But I, I think I think I love real estate just because it's one of those things where like you, you're never gonna learn every facet or every every hoop you're gonna have to jump through for every transaction. Right, right. It's impossible. <laughs> we should try though, don't we? So, um, in the army, how long were you in the army for? Uh, so I went in, I'm in and out. I was in three years active duty, one year National Guard. Um, the cool thing about the National Guard was it paid for my school, right? So it was it was paying while I was in. I was one week in the month. I was paying for my school. But I also had the GI Bill, which was giving me actual cash to use for school. But I already had the Guard paying for school. So I had a little bit of income I could use. I didn't need student loans or anything. I went out and got student loans so I could have some capital to go buy properties. I guess to answer your long answer to your question is four years total that I was in. No, I appreciate your service. And I think people out there like leveraging the military to get schooling, even VA loan, like there's a, there's a whole little uh, niche in there just by joining the military. Right. So I appreciate you for your service. And it's kind of cool that you went through that even so long ago, it feels like. Yeah, it was a long time ago, yeah. I was, I was, uh, I think you said 2006 or 2002. Uh, I got out of the military in 2001. So I got into the, and then I went right into the real estate. Right. So, but I was in, in 2006 is when I got into the lending side of real estate. Prior to that, I was just buying and selling and wholesaling and fix and flips and all of that stuff. Yeah. 2001, I was nine years old. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> 
making me feel old now. No, no, no. It's it's wisdom beyond your years. That's all. I mean, you're you're doing you're doing the right thing at all the right times. So I think it's experience. So you became a hard money lender first. Uh, and I was a real estate investor first, and then I a hard money lender, and then I became a mortgage broker, and that was terrible um, because of all the. All the, you know, the, a lot of regulation came in around 2008, yeah. the SAFE Act and all of that. And so yeah. that was kind of the time where it became very challenging to be a, a mortgage broker. But I was already raising private capital at that time. And I just saw like, look, I can control my own destiny here. I can make the rules. I could underwrite the loans. I could keep the loans in-house and service them. I don't need someone telling me what I can and cannot do. I know how to keep people's money safe. So I focused on hard money at that point. And you've been doing hard money. Are you still doing hard money now? Still doing hard money. Yeah, I, I, I was doing it in 2006 with a partner. And then we split. We, she got into some financial trouble. I was struggling as well. through two, Anybody in real estate in 2008 yeah. struggled, right? 100%. So we decided to split. She wants to teach real estate. I like doing real estate. I'm a trenches guy, a deals guy. So she went off to teach people how to do it. And I went to continue to do it. And that's when I started Pine. So Pine was started in 2008. Um, I, we're, still, we're still here going strong. I, th I think I'm going down the route of you because I'm right now I'm a real estate investor, but I'm getting into the financial side. And the financial side is very, very fun for me. because I'm So I'm, fun. I'm a math guy. <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> and I love the financial side of it. So do you have a servicing company, a note servicing company? Yeah, we service our own loans. So we originate and service in-house. What You said you love the financing side too, which you know why, why that is or why a lot of people are attracted to the financing side of real estate? It's because the hunt of the deal and the deal structure and how you make your offer and how you negotiate it has everything to do with how you're going to finance it. So if you're going to go get a conventional loan, it, you can negotiate it this way. If you're going to have the owner carry a second or do a land contract or any of these creative strategies, you have to negotiate and structure it this way so it all comes down to the financing and that's why that's why i fell in love with it so you're the first person i ever heard say that because i've been saying that for a long time and people don't understand that i'm like real estate is but it's less about the property and more about the financing because how you structure the financing is what gives you the ability to buy more i mean right. think about that if you if you had unlimited financing you can buy anything you wanted technically yeah and think about this i'm just thinking uh, as we're talking here like if you get creative terms you could overpay for a house right and still make money. So let's say you want to buy a house for 200,000 and it's only worth a hundred. That sounds like a ridiculous buy. But what if that 200,000 comes with a payment that's six or $700 below what you can rent it for? And it, you could pay it off over, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, but all of your payment goes to principal. There's no interest at all. Now, is it a deal that you would want to do? See, now you're talking about language. See, this is, this is, this is the juice right here. So for everybody here, I, we talk about this all the time because we're land investors. So I'm like, if we get this thing creative finance, we don't have to be 50% right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you can overpay for it. You can overpay that's what people don't understand. If the, if the seller gets hung up on a price in order to negotiate and have a successful transaction, maybe you give them the price if they'll bend somewhere else where you could still profit, right? Mm -hmm. Just being creative. Okay, so no one talks about this at all. And I love talking about this. Like maybe I'm giving too much juice, but this is for the financial nerds out here. <laughs> I yeah. love the numbers. Yeah. But like I, I, I was doing, I was teaching. I, I, we have our own little students that we teach, and I, was, I literally told them this Tuesday: price does not matter. If we get something seller finance, we could be fifty percent wrong and still make money. Hmm. And that's a huge, huge like buffer zone. Like you could be the worst real estate investor, but if you get creative terms, you're probably gonna win most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to be smart about it. I'm, but I'm just trying to. I'm making this that example just to open up, you know, your listeners' minds. Like, you sure. people get so hung up on the price, and that's like a very conventional way to think. Yep. Um, I love the creativity, and that's why I went to the, the private money route because now we can get real creative and, and fund deals, right? 
So, and uh, one of the things I love about like the financial side is like you, it gives you the ability to like take like the one of the things that halts everybody's business as an investor is financing. Like they're not they may not be financeable. They might not be able to raise money. Everything comes back to money. Like they can only buy so many properties under their name or their certain LLC. They they're capped out, and they're then they're like, I can't buy anymore. Yep, sorry. I need, to go, I need to go to multifamily. I need to go to bigger assets. I'm like, no, you really don't. You just need to be more creative with your financing, whether it's raising cap, whether you maybe you focus on raising capital, maybe you focus on other things to fill that gap. And I think I think a lot of people like, they miss the the financing key of it, and it's it's such a simple solution. Not necessarily that it's a simple solution, but it's a if you know the solutions there, that's something you need to drive for and pick out, and that's the thing that's going to solve your problem. Yeah, that's right. I agree with the word simple. I mean, it's a simple concept. Um, simple you got to be creative, but it's not it's not easy, right? So not easy. You absolutely have to work. I, I was I was calling sellers while I was walking between classrooms on across campus. I'm making phone calls to people that are in foreclosure or people that have their back then it was a newspaper when they had their property rent uh, advertised for rent in the newspaper. I would just call them and see if they'd be willing to give me terms on a on a sell. Maybe they were a landlord that they don't want to be a landlord, right? I don't know unless I call them. So a lot of work. It's hard, but the concept simple. I agree. So one thing I really want to dig on this. It's a lot of work. A lot of people they think they need they don't they think they're doing enough work to succeed but they're really not and you're calling in between classes like me it's like i realized this when because it took me seven months to get my first deal wholesaling i didn't have any money i just wholesaled the deal found a contract and sold it but one of those things were like i thought i was doing enough action to get the result but i really wasn't yeah and <laughs> it's like people. a plane taking off like i love this analogy because a plane uses like 80 percent of the fuel it's going to use during a trip getting off the ground and then it kind of cruises, right? So you got to put all that effort in first, get off the ground, get your momentum going, and then it becomes a little bit easier. Not totally easy. I mean, you still have to work, but your main effort has to be at the very beginning just to get the momentum. Mm. Yeah, 100%. What is some of your early on tips you can give to somebody new to raise private capital? Because I think you you find out harness that soon. You've probably been doing it for years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do 15 it years, yeah. Uh, it's a slow, tough process, but once you perform, people want to invest with you. So we, I've, I've got investors that work with me now that have been with me from the very beginning. So 15 years they've been uh, investing with me. Uh, really? I think the, the biggest advice is really you got to get that snowball going. It's kind of like the momentum, right? Because, yeah. But you have to perform. So don't overpromise. So many people do that. If you're not hitting the targets that you're telling your clients or your investors that you're going to hit, then they're not going to want to invest with you and they sure as hell aren't going to refer you to somebody. So make sure you're hitting your targets, even if you have to be conservative in those assumptions. Uh, but what I've had the most successful success with Daniel is uh, education. And that's probably similar to you. And that's why you're doing this podcast. I would assume if I could add value to somebody and show them how to make money, oftentimes they'll want to work with me and have them help help with that. So doing classes, doing webinars, when now we have this YouTube channel, we're starting our own podcast, maybe we'll have you on. Uh, but it's, it's just giving giving value and helping people um, accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And, and that's where I've really found the most success. Yeah, we've, uh, we're 100% we're land investors. And we've came across a, a group of people that they own like a 1000 acres, but they don't know how to do what we do. So now we're helping them subdivide, seller finance it, and then wrap the mortgages and sell the notes and all that stuff. So we're teaching them how to do that because them cash is an issue, but they don't know how to structure it and make the real estate cash flow from then on. 
So it's one of those things where like we're trying to facilitate that gap where they don't even know what to do with. They just buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell. And there's more to real estate than buying oh, and selling. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's add some value. Yeah. It's the one asset that you can really add value to. That's why so, you can't compare to an investment like stock market. Yeah. Right? You can't force stocks to appreciate, but you absolutely can do that in real estate. One one of the things that I, I love what I learned about financing is that uh, how to increase your yield. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of ways to do that, but it's one of those things where, like, I, I talk about this online a lot too. Because, like, why do you invest? You invest to get an ROI. What's the real ROI? Is it is your, your time and acceleration to receive your capital back? And it's not really about doors. And like, everybody has this vanity metrics of like, I have a hundred doors, fifty doors, two hundred doors. I'm like, I agree. And like. Me, us financial guys, not that I'm nowhere near your level, but I understand the, the doors concept. And I'm like, like 500 doors in, in Detroit is nowhere equivalent to 500 doors in California. So doors doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, what, what's, right. what's the cash flow? What's the net worth? What's the, what's the balance sheet? What's the numbers look like? That's the real, that's the real, what's the ROI that you're getting on those doors? Is it 200 per door? Is it 500 per door? Is it 700 per door? Like, I don't know. And how much risk is it? And how much effort is it? Yeah. There's a lot then, to it. Um, like I said, I, th I think we're going to have a conversation offline because, like I said, when, when I learned, when I, once I learned the financing side, I realized the leverage you have and the simplicity you have of it. And it's just paperwork. Once you understand the paperwork, you can increase your yield. You can, you can do certain things to make more money and make the real ROI, which is what all that matters in different ways without the hassle. Of owning yeah. doors. Yeah, and that's a that could be a long conversation you and I could have because there's all different kinds of matrix that you should be looking at. ROI is one of them, but that's not like a cash on cash return. That's a completely separate way to look at a deal, right? So I, you got to consider all of these different um, ratios or matrix when you're analyzing something. For sure. So I have a good conversation for you. So I feel this is I don't hear it very often, but I feel like the metric everybody should be looking for is getting infinite returns. Yeah, so that's easy, I believe, when you're dealing with the smaller type of projects, your little onesie, twosies. It's easy to get no money down, cash flowing out of day one, but it's hard to have big profits on those. So I don't know what your audience, like where, where they're at in their careers. Okay. Uh, but if you're talking about a little single family house, you get an infinite return. It's really not that hard. But if you're trying to make seven figures on every deal you touch, a lot of times you're going to have to put some capital into that. Um, now, could you raise the capital and, and just get it from other private investors or limited partners or whatever? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then you can have an infinite return. Uh, but what I've, what I've found is the, the ones that are willing to put in a little bit of skin um, tend to make bigger dollar amounts. So it's, it's what's, what's your goal? Are you looking for an infinite return, as you suggest, or are you looking for that million dollar payday in two or three or four of those a year? I guess it depends on the goals, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. This is this is and this is where like I talk I guess like, so I talk about infinite returns because people are like oh maybe like like and I always equate it to like the stock market because about stock market people are like they're okay with like four and five percent returns and like give me your money I'll yeah exactly I'll give you ten percent all day long like if that's all you're looking for is ten is six percent man I, I can I can do that don't worry about that yeah. I, I might double it <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah for you like if you're if you're bringing in equity investors and they're going to participate in the ups and downs. It's actually not that hard to hit those higher returns, right? So you, I'm, I'm totally reasonable to pay 10, 12, whatever percent to your investors. I, I'm seeing that all day long. Yeah. 
it's it's such a such a funny conversation when you talk to like those stock market investors and all like you yeah. give me eight percent return i'll do whatever i'll give you as much as you need like eight percent okay <laughs> yeah. and then um, they always say you, you could leverage your stock account you could do a margin account right i have a margin account and for uh it's called a pledge asset line so we, i i don't lose access to all my money that's in the stock market uh -huh. uh, but I'll tell you what, if you use that line or that margin account and then your stock portfolio drops like it has not that long ago, then you have what they call a margin call. And yep. you better be ready for that because if they have a margin call, you got to come up with the cash and bring that loan back in line with your collateral. That's not a super comfortable position. You don't have that in real estate. Mm. Mm -hmm. Only in notes. I don't see, you don't see very many margin calls and notes. I think you, where you would get a call, like a, you might, you might get a call in a syndication, like maybe some of the stuff you're doing, if you get into trouble, they might go to the investors and say, Hey, we got to increase, you know, the yeah. capital here, but it's, it's pretty rare, right? In, in, yeah. in stocks, it's, it's every day. Since you're in the finance side, have you gotten to buying tapes at all? Uh, I've looked at a handful, but no, no. Here's the thing. I was looking at a small tape. It was about 15. And they were just trying to push it through. And okay. when I when I actually had someone go out that was on the ground, go out and look at the properties, I found that like two of them weren't even there. The city had demolished the properties. So like, I I guess I got a little adverse to that. Okay. I would much rather buy a 15 unit apartment than 15 single family homes from one buyer, but that's just me. No, that's interesting. I've never, I mean, I've never heard anything like that. That's interesting. Um, I, and this is where like you get some financial side, you kind of venture in all these different directions. So it seems like you're just more on the, on the origination and management side. Yeah. On the, on the, for the, for the financing, I'm really just, we originate, we service, we do sell off loans to private investors at times to free up some capital. They're happy with it. Super safe, uh, investment for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the other side of my own investments, so I, I buy and sell and I still do some of that, but it's, those are all much bigger projects now than when I was getting started. And we're looking at, you know, commercial stuff and multifamily and that kind of thing. What, uh, what states are you lending in? We lend in Colorado, Minnesota. Those are our two primary markets. We, we do a ton of business in both of those. I also lend in Wisconsin and we started lending this year in DC. Wow. How do you get your name out there in all these different markets if you're like Colorado based? Yeah. So we do some advertising. So we have the, the pay-per-clicks and, the, nice and all that. We do the social media stuff. So the YouTube channels tends to work pretty well. Uh, but it's, it's really just like I mentioned about raising the private capital. Once you get one or two and you perform, then the word kind of spreads. So we're just really um, diligent asking for referrals. Um, and I can tell you over 80%, it's about 82-ish, real close to that percent of our loans that we close are either repeat or referrals. So that's how we... That's how we grow. That's amazing. That's amazing metrics. That's amazing. That's good. Word of word I mean, of mouth. All you got to do is what you say you're going to do. And then people like that. You know, it's yeah. it's really not that hard. Can we get into numbers as far as how much you're lending out per year on an annual basis? Or Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, about $160 billion a year. Billion? Uh, million. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> no, we're small. We're a small shop. We're 13 people. Um, we're hiring two more. But right now, as we record this, we're 13. Um, so $160 million. Okay, that's awesome. 160 million. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of revenue. It's a lot of revenue to originate and create. How does a person become an RMLO, or where do they find RMLOs? Or what's uh, you got to help me? What's an RMLO? A, a residential uh, mortgage loan officer. Yeah. Are you, are you even doing that? I don't know. 
So we do, we don't do any residential. Um, there's a lot of regulation around that. So we do business okay. purpose lending only. So if you're thinking about the the person that's going to borrow money to make money, yeah. that's the loan we're, we're interested in. So your rental properties, your fix and flips, your uh, commercial repositioning for you, like maybe a land uh, deal, if there's some value add there, you, yeah. you told me that you parcel it out and sell it off. If there's value add and you're looking for a short-term bridge loan, that's what we're, that's where our niche is. So different. Okay. Different terms. Okay. So I haven't, but I haven't done, I haven't done like your side of it. I've been doing seller finance stuff. So I guess. I'm oh, okay. So yeah, we don't do any of that in pine. Um, I have done that outside of pine, but pine financial is originating exactly. loans for real estate investors. Yeah. Gotcha. We don't, we don't want to own property at all. I mean, we have a handful because we had to foreclose, but we liquidate those, um, get them off our books. So we can loan the money back out again. That is a, uh... <laughs> you work with investors only. That's the that's the difference. I, I work with a little bit on the customer side a little bit. Yeah. Too much there. regulation over there for us. We just we just stay away from it. Not in land though. That's why we like land. <laughs> it's not under Yeah, and I don't know the rules. So you're I'm gonna defer. You're probably right. I just know if it's consumer purpose lending, then you fall into RESPA and TILA and TRID and all of that other stuff. Business purpose lending, you don't have any of that. That's amazing. So one of one of my goals is I want to do what you do. Once I get the capital stacked up, because I don't want to hold property either. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard, right? And the, and the financing is so much safer. This side of the business is so much safer. Like I hate to admit it, but it's true. Some of our clients lose money on their project. They go over budget. They take too long. Their contractor isn't well managed, or whatever it is, and they're the ones that take the loss, not the lender. We get paid first. So I, I really do like this side of the of the business. And you underwrite it to a certain point where you're protecting your money or your lender's money that's backing Absolutely. you. So yeah, our default rate's like 2%. It's a little under 2%, which is well below like even VA. And VA is the lowest, which is, that's an unusual because there's no down payment requirements. But VA, FHA, conventional, we're well below all of those in our default rates. Wow. That's, that's amazing. It's interesting, right? It's very interesting. I got my wheels turning here a little bit because even then, like you, you don't, you don't want to take the property back, but sometimes you have to. It is yeah. what it is. That's right. It is. It is what it is. But like you said, there's a lot of varying risk from the whole time from like, even a bad contractor or somebody coming in there and stealing all the materials. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it could easily foil your whole project. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very, very crazy. I, don't know, I, I like, I like, like I said, I like the financial side. I'm working towards there. And like I said, I'll have to have conversations offline because like it's one of those things where like I, I like the 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 less risk aspect of not having actually have to do the physical labor or physically right. putting tile in, physically doing the pumping in or manage managing all that, the roof. Like it's one of those things where like I can just push paper. That's all I'm gonna do. I'm yeah, office. totally. I'm office. I got started by just like, hey, here's a private individual. He wants to make a loan, but he doesn't know. He doesn't have a, a database. He doesn't really know how to originate it. Here's a real estate investor that wants to fix and flip this little condo. Well, if I introduce them and I could maybe make some money. So that's how I got started. Why don't I just originate the loan for the individual that has the money and I'll take some points, fees, and then they can, they can work together from there. Um, and then it just migrated to like, oh, dude, this, this is a business here. So we created a fund. Um, lower investment amount, diversification, you're diversified over a lot of properties and you can get your money in and out if you want. So the fund was a far better tool to use than just brokering two individuals together. 
Okay. Um, and that's really where it expanded. So for someone like you, I'm just I'm sharing this with you because you said you're oh, yeah. interested in it. I'm I'm taking mental notes. I'm glad you're saying this. <laughs> the, the individual, it was a really easy uh, way to start because you didn't need the fund. You didn't need the, the the attorneys helping you out. You didn't need any of that. But the feedback was, look, it's not diversified. If if something goes wrong with this note, that investor's on the hook for it right now. They'll end up with the property. So maybe it's not so bad. Yeah. But your income is definitely going to stop while you work through the problem. Yep. Um, they, they couldn't get the money back and the investments, especially now with all the appreciation we've been seeing over the last several years. And you in California, my gosh, if... If they're gonna, if you're gonna do the individual, they have to come up with the entire amount of the loan to do it. So this way, at least, it, it could break up and make it easier for more people to get involved. So eventually, you're gonna, you're gonna want to get into a fund of some kind um, and bring in investors that way. What's the minimum buy-in for your fund? We're tiny. Look, we got, we just got a, a public fund accepted about 18 months ago, so we could offer it publicly. Um, which is very rare in this business. And we don't have to restrict us to accredited investors only. We can work with accredited and non-accredited investors. So we have the, the entry level pretty low. So more people can get involved if they want. It's only $10,000 $10, to get started. Wow. That's not, that's really, really good. For everybody here, pinefinancialgroup.com. <laughs> this is a plug. Financial group. That's that's a low barrier to entry. And yeah, one of the reasons why I like I like the low barrier to entry too, because a lot of people they invest in stocks and all these dividend incomes because they feel like I can I can't put fifteen thousand dollars into real estate and make money. Right. Financialgroup.com. There you go. There it is. There yeah, it is. at least it gets you some exposure to real estate. Look, we don't even know if your money in the bank is safe anymore. Now I happen to believe it is, but it was put into question recently, wasn't it? I mean yes, very recently. <laughs> And you know, the FDIC insurance, they can insure, I don't know if you know this, Daniel, but they, the, what's that? Up to 250,000 per account. Right. But the amount of reserves that they have to actually pay out claims. So they, they are required to keep cash of 2% of all insured deposits, insured deposits, like you said, 250,000 per individual okay. per bank. So people spread it out over banks, right? 2%. Do you know what they actually have in reserves? What? 1.23%. 1.23% of the amount of insured deposits is in a, a liquid reserve account for the Fed to pay out, for the FDIC to pay out in claims. How many banks have to fail before that gets chewed up? You know, so how I just I bring that up not to scare anybody, but there's really not enough insurance to pay claims. So it would mean a bailout of some kind if there was bank runs or not returning deposits. Right. So how safe how safe are we? That's why real estate is so important. It's Main Street. I can go out and touch it. I know where it's at. If I need to, I can rent it out and produce income. Yep. 1.2%. You got 1.23. Yep. <laughs> Those numbers just came out. That is crazy. And then it, what surprised me with these last bank runs was the SVB and uh, what was the credit finance? Signature. Uh, yeah. Signature. They backed everything. They did. And all they're doing is increasing the premiums to the other banks. Oh, it's not going to charge. Oh, here, I'm going to go on a rant. We're not going to charge the taxpayers. Uh -huh. Don't worry. We're going to bail out the, the depositors, which I agree with, by the way. We're, we're going to bail out the depositors, and we're not going to charge the taxpayers anything. But you know where, where we're going to get the money, right? It's going to be all the other banks because their insurance and premium, the FDIC insurance premium, is going to go up so we can cover all of this. Well, what do the banks do when their premiums go up? They pass it to the customer. They pass it to the customer. So... Don't worry though, taxpayers aren't gonna pay for this. This is just another way to print money. It's not quantitative easing. They're not calling it that. 
but yeah. it absolutely is printing money. Money is getting injected into the system through this bailout. <laughs> this is such a high level conversation. I'm glad we're having it though, because- I'm Sorry, I just went off on a little tangent there. I, I mean, they had to bail them out because what would have happened had- it would, have been with, it would have been crazy, right? It would, it would have been, been absolutely nuts. So it's a good thing they did it. It's just, I, it would just be nice if there was some transparency behind it. That's all. If they didn't bail them out, there would have been 10 more bank runs because everyone oh, chaos. was trying to me my money. At the, that's the right. They'd be pulling to the bank. And I, I get it. I get it. It's just, it's a crazy world we live in. And this is why you need to invest in real estate. That's right. Yeah, invest in real estate or debt backed by real estate. You know, either, either with you and what you're doing or what we're doing. I mean, at least get it out of Wall Street and into Main Street. Uh, I yeah. think at least some exposure. And that's why we have such a small amount to get started. At least get some exposure. Diver that's diversification. Buying a mutual fund or five different stocks, you're not really diversified. You're diversified in this one little sector. Right? How do you get more exposure? Ooh. That always get like titles for the titles for the episode. That's the title for the episode. I've never heard that before. Get your money out of Wall Street into Main Street. That's the title. See, I'm active listening. See, yeah. this is such a, this is a good conversation um, for everybody here. Learn about the financial side. The financial sector of real estate is a plethora of opportunity, from hard money lending to seller financing to a lot of other things that you can do that we, we won't cover on this call, but. <laughs> There's a lot of things to do. There's plenty, as much as opportunity there is on single family, there's opportunity on, on the financing side. That's right. <laughs> that you don't even know about. And this is that's why I love I love real estate as a whole because every sub niche has infinite opportunity. Yeah. It creates challenges for people because they don't know which way to go. And then if you're chasing too many different things, you know, they call it the shiny object syndrome or the squirrel syndrome, right? If you're always looking for the next squirrel, then you're never going to be successful. So I talk about that a lot. You really got to be focused, which is hard in real estate because there's so many different ways that you can go and make money. Um, I like I like your path. And I think I'm on the same path as you, is that you investor into lender into you kind of grow as an investor slash entrepreneur, you kind of grow into different things. And this is where I say this all the time, be open-minded. There's people that still flip houses for the last 20 years and they think it's the best thing since sliced bread. And for them it is. And for them it is. And then there's there's people like you that's been doing financing for the last 15 years and it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, that's right, that's right. See, I'm all about capital preservation. I've taken my licks, man. I've been through 2008, 2009, 10. I, I know what that feels like. I'm not willing to do that again. So I am ultimate. My ultimate goal is to protect capital for me and my investors. And that's why the debt side is so attractive. I think that's such a big mission too, because I have that too. Protecting it for your investors is such a big thing too, because once you have this knowledge that I hope to get to your level one day, it's like you have the, you have the ability to preserve wealth for multiple people. Like it's not just you anymore. Right. You now have the knowledge to deploy and get good, 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 good returns, good, safe returns into good assets and provide that stability, not for, for a whole community that you operate their capital for. Mm -hmm. And that's priceless. It, nothing feels better, man. When you get those phone calls or the handwritten letters, like, thank you, you changed my life, that kind of stuff. Oh God, that's why I'm here. And that, that, that's, that's I, I think it's the beauty part of it because like 
some people know how to make money. Some people know how to preserve it. But if you can combine the two, and if that's your skill, your one gift that God gave you is to build or preserve capital or both, I hope you take it to whatever level you can because there's a lot of people out there that all they know how to do is spend. Yeah, man. Thank you for saying that. That's so, so that's an important message. If you have a gift, you should use it. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. If you have a gift, and you should, it shouldn't be there for like – I'm sure I don't know how what you, what your returns you gave to your investors last year was, but I'm sure it felt good writing a check. Yeah, and we pay out every single month. It's real simple in, in our public fund. The other funds that we did before were equity, so they they kind of go up and down a little bit. There's a little bit of variation there in the returns. The debt fund, our public fund, is flat eight percent, so it's something you can count on. It pays out every single month, so that's a big advantage to a lot of the other syndication or uh, other type of passive investing strategies um, because those. Are, you might lock up your money for a while and not get anything while they, you know, add the value to the real estate. This is day one income. I love it, man. I love it. Um, 8% flat rate return. I might send some dividend people to you because I'm sick of them getting their 4% returns. It's aggravating. Yeah. Let me know <laughs> if I could help, man. I'd love to. <laughs> it's aggravating because I'm like, there's some, there's so many better places to put that capital and everybody's like, well, I'm trying to get to my retirement number. I'm like, if you find a better rate of return, you can retire quicker. Yes. And at all, because look, inflation's at 5% and that's down from 9.1, 5%. You're telling me you're getting four, which is actually a good return. You're still less than inflation. So your, your buying power is eroding with your 4% return. You'll yeah. never hit retirement. I, I say 4% is too close to, to inflation. That's it's too close. <laughs> it's lower right now. I mean, inflation will come down. Of I know it goes up and down, but it's too close to inflation. Either way, yeah. whether it's three you or five. got to get higher. <laughs> I, I, I feel uh, like some of the sentences you said are like stuff that I've been saying for a long time. I've, I'm like, I feel like I'm preaching to the, preaching to the wall because I feel like nobody's listening. But I'm like, <laughs> it's going to stick to somebody and I'm going to keep saying my message because like I, I want everybody like when it when it really comes down to it, I want everybody to get a good rate of return. If you're at that point where you can invest, I want you to get a good rate of return. I want you to. Like there's there's no reason why you shouldn't. You worked hard for that money, you saved, you invested, you did all that stuff for investing. I want you to get a good rate of return. That's the bottom line. Yes, me too. And I want you to be safe about it. So go 100%. go for the home run. I mean, if you see the 35% return on this specific investment, do it within reason. Do it, but Let's just don't put all of our money into that. Like, let's spread it out a little bit so we have some income coming in from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm just, that's, a, I, I really believe in the diversification and just being smart. Being smart. Uh, where can people find you online? What's your YouTube channel? We got pinefinancialgroup.com. I'll put it right here on, on the video. Uh, what's your YouTube channel? I haven't checked it yeah, out. Yeah, YouTube channel is youtube.com backslash pinefinancial. Um, okay. We do one video a week, so nowhere near what you're, what you're producing. Um, but they're real short, you know, they're little five, 10 minute videos about real estate investing. So tips and tricks, what we're seeing, what what's working, what's not. Uh, we do some market update stuff, but it's a lot of strategy. So that would be a good place for real estate investors to, to explore. But yeah, pinefinancialgroup.com is the best way to reach me. There you go. Man, uh, Kevin, it has been a really good conversation. It's kind of refreshing because I love talking about finance side of it. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> And like it's it's refreshing to me just because like I, I enjoy this side of it more than any other side, and my partner's the the land investor here go jump fences and get contracts and take people out to dinner. And I'm like, let me just 
let me let me get my 10 bii and we're gonna yeah go. <laughs> i'm like you i i'll do all of that but i prefer to be behind the desk looking at the numbers i, I agree yeah yeah so that's what i said i feel like we, we connected on a different level but this is this has been such a great interview i really appreciate your time and i appreciate you rescheduling with me and getting on the calendar because this has been amazing for everybody here pineadvantage.group.com go check out kevin uh, go check out his YouTube channel. Go learn something about the finance side. You'd be surprised what leverage and information you can get out there if you search for it. And it's all about going to the right places because there's plenty of information out there, but you might be from the wrong person. Fantastic. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> uh, for everybody here, go like, subscribe, share with this episode with a friend. You know what to do. I ain't got to tell you. We'll see you on the next episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching this YouTube video. We hope you found value. Please like, subscribe, and hit the bell. Watch more videos just like this one. Thank you.